0: Because ultimately and, and look think about it, it's whether you're any type of program that you're ever in there are people who are going to be successful and there are people who are not and the differentiating factor between the two it's not belief right it's not tools it's not talent it's not ability it's decision
1: welcome to the leadership junkies podcast brought to you by cartevera the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We're also excited to now be a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Today, we have an interesting guest. Michael Unbroken is with us and certainly he has lived a life. And notice the title of our program today. The difference between success and failure is decision tools for life transformation. Michael has had a life that many of us would feel beyond challenged with, so much childhood trauma. And now, as a result of moving through that trauma, he now works with people and individuals and leaders to help them overcome and move past that childhood trauma. He calls it helping people to be empowered as trauma survivors and to help them move through their old stories so that they can listen to this, become the hero of their own story. Michael's not just going to share his story, but he's going to share the tools of how he took his story, moved past that story, and is rewriting a new story in his life, his leadership, and his business. Michael says that the people who are the most successful in life are the people who operate mission-based. So, prepare to be uncomfortable as you move forward in your own transformation. Welcome to the We are so excited to be back here today because not only are we going to have a conversation about leadership, I mean, so many conversations are not just leadership, they're about our life. And I'm confident that with Michael Unbroken, who's with us today, we're going to hear just so much of an integrated element of life and leadership and the journeys we have in both those arenas. Michael is the founder of an organization called Think Unbroken. He's a best-selling author, award-winning speaker, podcast host, coach, And this will give you a bit of a teaser. He's an advocate for adult survivors of childhood trauma. Hmm. Since 2016, Michael has empowered over 100,000 trauma survivors to get out of what he calls the vortex, to learn to love themselves and become the hero of their own story. Michael's spoken in over 80 countries. He's won investments from undercover billionaire Grant Cardone. And he's on a mission, listen to this, to end generational trauma in his lifetime. Wow. So, You know, we're talking about someone who's living on mission, living and leading on mission. And that's what we're all about. And we want to empower all of you, the listeners, to do the same. No matter what your story has been and what you think the story is going to be, we're talking about rewriting the story. And I'm sure we've got the right guy for that today. So welcome, <laughs> Michael. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here with you guys today. Yeah, great to have you. So, Michael, give uh, everybody a little bit of that uh, Michael Unbroken backstory.
0: Yeah, man, the, the short version is, you know, you go look at studies and your zip code is more indicative of success in your life than almost any other indicator. Wow. And I, I come from a place where, like, realistically, I should be dead or in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through a tremendous amount of trauma as a child, um, started doing drugs when I was like 12 years old. Um, And then I I, I kind of flipped into becoming super business oriented. And by the time I was 21, landed a a job with a Fortune 10 company, no high school diploma, no college education. Um, And that kind of destroyed my life as as that Hmm. tends to happen. Um, And fast forward 11 years later, here I am talking to you guys today. And it's been this incredible journey of, of healing, of growth, of empowerment, of ultimately not negotiating with myself and, and making choices and decisions to become who it is that I am today and who I will
1: be tomorrow. Hmm. So, Michael, uh, let's, let's start by going a little deeper into that story. Uh, you, you know, you put a lot in that brief opening. Tell everybody a little bit more about sort of the beginnings for Michael that set up the journey you're on today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I'll give you the elevator pitch here, right? Um, when, when I was four years old, my mother, who was a drug addict and alcoholic, she actually cut off my right index finger, right? And, oh. and people will always go, man, how could a mother do that? And I'm like, well, that's just the continuation of generational trauma, right? That's abuse, mm-hmm. begetting abuse. And my stepfather, super abusive, he would kick the shit out of my brothers and I put me in the hospital, like, i mean you're literally talking like a lifetime made for tv movie wow and by the time that i was eight years old um we were just constantly in poverty and homeless getting evicted all the time i lived with thirty three zero different families between the time I was 8 and 12, just getting wow. bounced around as my mom was in and out of rehab, my stepdad was doing whatever. And when I was 12 years old, my grandmother adopted me. And you think that'd be a godsend, but you know I'm biracial, I'm black and white. My grandma was an old racist white lady from a town in Tennessee you never heard of, right? So <laughs> insert identity crisis. And I coped wow. with that by at 12 years old, I started doing drugs. You know, I was smoking weed, I was popping pills, you know, Oxycontin was a thing and my friends were getting into that. And I was around that scene. And by the time that I was 13, I got drunk for the first time. 15, I got expelled from school for selling drugs. And I was out still in cars, running with guns, breaking into houses, like all those things. Like part of it was it's my environment. And the other part of it is I just wanted to be with my friends. I wanted brotherhood, I wanted companionship. I wanted those things. And luckily I got put into a last chance program, but I still did not graduate high school on time. And I found myself like literally being so embarrassed, being the laughing socket, it was almost impossible not to graduate from my high school. They just hand out diplomas, right? All you gotta do is show up. My senior year, I missed 91 days of school, wow. right? And, and I found myself in this position. I finally get this diploma, they hand it to me. They're like, good luck, dude. And uh, I was like, what is the solution for poverty? What is the solution for abuse? What is the solution for all of these things? I was like, it's money. It's got to be. And so I made a declaration myself. I said, by the time I'm 21, I want to make $100,000 a year legally. And the legal part was (laughs) super important. Because yeah. I, got, I got family in prison for life. I've been in handcuffs. My three childhood best friends as of today day have been murdered because of drugs, because of the wow. same thing I was involved in. And so I said, what do I have to do to get there? And the first thing is I got a job working at a fast food restaurant as a general manager in training. At 18 and a half years old, I had 52 people under me, right? I was wow. learning skills because skills have utility. Like, people have to understand this, right? Skills are how you create something in your life. And I took those skills and then I re upped them and I kept getting better at them. And eventually, at 20, heading into 21, I landed this job with Fortune 10 Company and I started making that six figures and I reached that goal.
2: So, in this path, it sounds like you had a a progression of growth. Was it intentional? Were you looking for specific skills to develop or? Were you following along with a plan that maybe your manager set for you?
0: So, well, I mean, twofold, right? In, in, one, in one aspect, it was looking at life and understanding the environment that I was in. Like, mm-hmm. like for context, dude, look, think about this. The first time I bought a car, it was at a buy here, pay here lot at okay. 21% interest. Wow. Because I didn't know better, Yeah. right? I was looking at, this is what the people around me do. I thought gotcha. success was you know wearing the headset, telling people what to do at the fast food joint. That to me, I was like, oh, that's how you get to hundred grand, because it wasn't slinging drugs and it definitely wasn't working at Hollywood Video making five bucks an hour, which I used right. to do, right? Mm-hmm. And so I said, let me just get myself in this position. Let me learn how to write a resume. Let me learn how to make a cover letter. Let me go on a lot of interviews. Figure out how to do that, and then I landed this job. And in that. The thing that happened is, they started teaching me about things like, dude. I learned how to read a P&L when I was 18 years old, right? <laughs> you don't, you don't think that matters? That's great. You know what I mean? Like that matter. Because as a, as a, as a general manager in training, I was yeah.
1: learning the tools of running my own business. So, Michael, let me let me give everybody some context here, and I'm curious about uh, clearly a lot of your work is you call it helping people become the hero of their own story. So this is about, I'm guessing, some version of rewriting their story. So at 18, you're in that experience. Had you started to rewrite the story, or were you sort of in the old story, and you were just working and leading in the old story at that time? Yeah, great, great question, man. No, I was definitely still in, I was in
0: transition, right? Because I still I hadn't left the neighborhood. I was still getting high every single. I'd I'd get stoned before I walked into work. you know what I mean? Um, and And I would just be in this place where I was just like, this this is what I'm supposed to do. and i I'd, I'd given myself permission to settle, right? And that's a really hard reality to face. I was like, and then what happened, the way that I got to the Fortune 10 company is one day I was, I was having a MySpace chat to age myself um, with, with one of my very close friends. And he went to the same high school I went, but he like finished in like the top three kids. Like he's a freaking genius. And um, he's like, dude, I got this job working for an insurance company. And I was like, you can do that? That's a thing? That's a thing. Because we're like, again, we're like 18, 19 years old. And I was like, oh, my God. That's how you do it. That's how you get to this goal I have. And then I just started getting all of the applications together I could, all of the resumes, all of the cover letters. I just started messaging every insurance company on planet earth, even if there wasn't a job posted. And eventually when I was 20, two years later, I get a call to come in for an interview at wow. one of the largest insurance companies on planet earth. And they hired me on the spot. And I came in as an assistant, and I did that for a couple of months. I got licensed in 48 states to sell insurance. And then I got promoted as an insurance salesperson. And then I got my first check for $10,000. And then I got my next one and my next one and my next one. Now, Jeff, this will answer your question. In the context of this, I'm living paycheck to paycheck, making more money than anyone I've ever met in my life, driving an $85,000 car, living this luxurious life, dude, I used to take women on dates that were like $500. I'd pick them up and like, I'm a psycho, right? Because I'm like, I don't know better. No one taught me about money. We were homeless as kids. I didn't know what to do with it. And so this transition period happened because at 25, I was 350 pounds, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day and drinking myself to sleep every night. I had a running bar tab at the bar that I lived above, spending two grand a month, right? Mm. Living this crazy lifestyle. And that's around the time that I put a gun in my mouth. Mm. I was done. I was like, money was supposed to solve all these problems. Uh. But the thing that I hadn't done yet, this transition I'm talking about, I hadn't started doing the work. Yeah. I hadn't gone to therapy, I hadn't got a coach. I heard a name like Tony Robbins. I would be like, who is this? This clown, <laughs> you know? he knows nothing of the world, right? And, and that started this transformational period because the next day I woke up. And when I looked in the mirror and I had that memory, I asked myself, what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? That's a great question. And the response was no excuses, just results. And what that actually meant was I'm going to stop negotiating with
1: myself. (laughs) And 11 years later, I'm talking to you. Wow. So, Michael, listen, there's there's a lot in that. I want to go back to that point you're talking about. You're making money. You're outwardly a success. And I think it's so important for people to define success. But a lot of the world would say you're super successful. You're making money. You're living this life. And it sounds like externally, you have a new story going on. But internally, nothing really hadn't changed. You were living the same old story. You weren't taking care of yourself. You didn't value yourself. You certainly, using your language, you didn't love yourself then. In fact, probably, I'm guessing at some level, did you ever experience what you felt was loathing, self-loathing?
0: Well, well, why don't I put it in context for you, Jeff? You grow up how I grow up. People go, you're not good enough. You're not strong Hmm. enough. You're not capable enough. You're poor. You're homeless. No wonder your dad left you. No wonder your mom beat you. You hear that, right? You hear that from your peers. And then, right, you have teachers. You have teachers who go, you colored the moon purple. How dare you? What is wrong with you? Walk on the right side of the hall. Go to the bathroom when I tell you to go to the bathroom. And then you come home and you can't be yourself. Wow. You have no agency. The most dangerous place in the whole world for me as a kid was when I walked through my front door, right? And so then you're in this position where you're 18, 25, 36, 52 years old, you don't know how to love yourself because the only thing you ever heard is that. And so now you're reinforcing that with your behavior. Let me tell you something. People talk about mindset right now so nonchalantly, it is the next, it is the buzzword nobody tells you what it means. So let me tell you what mindset actually means. Mindset is this, what you think becomes what you speak, what you speak become your actions and your actions become your reality. Yep. So if you sit here and you tell yourself that you are not worthy, then you're gonna act that way and that will become your truth. Absolutely. And I teach my clients, this is practical. I teach everyone I work with this very simple idea you convince yourself of this, your life will change forever. And it is this. I am the kind of person who is kind to myself. Mm. I am the kind of person who is kind to myself. Why does that matter?
3: Because think about
0: this. When you change your mindset to allow a space of kindness, you will think that you are capable of acting in a way that creates a reality around that. Absolutely. And that means you push yourself and you get uncomfortable and you ask hard questions and you demand more. And that is what happened, Jeff. That is like if I could bottle up what it takes to create massive change in your life, it is what I just told you. But people are terrified of that because the moment you start to step into that narrative, you have to let Go, And that's hard.
2: I would say when you step into that narrative, you also become responsible for your life. It's no longer what's happened to you. It's a matter of now you're taking control as well. yeah. and and what's terrifying about that net that narrative is the fact that
0: we have never been in control. Uh, yeah right? so um, the the hardest thing for me is the moment of recognizing that the truth was, it was my fault that I was in the position I was in. Mm -hmm. Now look, this does not allot culpability. Let's be super clear about that, right? It is not our fault that bad things happen to us. But in order to get to where you want to go, you have to know how you got to where you are. And so when you understand how you got to where you are, i.e. all of these experiences creating the sum total of who I am today, then guess what, Craig, you're out of excuses, right? But the fear lies in this. Think about it. This is actually an autonomic response. It is an autonomic response. It is a defensive mechanism for safety to not show up for yourself. Why? Because every time you have, there has been pain. There has been ramifications. There has been judgment and shame and guilt. And because of that, we learn to turn ourselves off. Why? Because every time we move into the idea of trusting our intuition and who we are, Mm. we suffer. It's the same analogy. How many times are you going to put your hand on the stove before you stop putting your hand on the stove? Except it's external, because other people have planted that in you. And it's like the moment you step into the freedom of being who you are, it's skydiving. (laughs) Right? It really is. It's
1: terrifying until you realize that you're in control of the parachute. Yeah. But Michael, it sounds like if we go back to that uh, manager at that fast food restaurant, I mean, I'm sensing that that lesson she taught you today is a lot of what you're just talking about. There, There was a moment before that that's actually more important. When I was 18,
0: getting ready to graduate, or not graduate, I should say, my, my girlfriend called me. I was at home. It was like three in the afternoon. I was stoned playing video games. And, uh, and she calls me. She goes, your name's not on the graduation list. I was pissed, dude. I was so mad, but I knew why. You know what I mean? I knew why. So I got in my car. I drove to school. I stood outside of his room and Mr. Bush came out. We'll never forget him till the day I die. He was my business teacher. Talk about ironies of all ironies. <laughs> and and I, he comes down the hallway, I'm irate because I'm a child and I don't know better. And he looks at me and he goes, hold on, talk to me like an adult. And I go, why did you fail me? He goes, I didn't fail you. We made an agreement. See, on the first day of the last semester of, of high school, I told him straight up. I said, I'm not coming to your class. I'm not. It's at 7 a.m. I'm up all night selling drugs and hanging out with my girlfriend like I'm not coming to your class. And he goes, I get it. Now, look, this is a teacher 20 years in. He's seen everything. This isn't a surprise to him. You know what I mean? And so
3: I'm standing there. And he goes, you failed yourself. Mm. We made an agreement. You had to check in with me and do homework.
0: That's it. You know how many times I checked in with him and did homework? Six months, zero times. Oh. And he looks at me and he says, The most important thing anyone has ever told me in my life today, that holds true far and above, more than anything ever. He looks at me and he goes, You have to understand something. If you want to get by in life, you're going to have to work for it. You're not going to get by in your charms and your good looks.
3: And he made me go to summer school, hmm. and that changed my life forever. Wow.
2: Sounds like so, tough love, but it's, it's so good to have those mentors that actually care enough about us to, to have that tough love. He's the only one that did, man. Like, mm. like, like when I really look at it, these, these
0: teachers, and look, I get it. I understand how difficult being a teacher is. I'm, I'm not trying to shame them in this, but when you look at all the teachers who just let me skate by,
3: yeah, he was the only one who didn't. Mm. There was a
1: consequence for my decisions. Wow. So, Michael, I'm curious, um, as you're talking about this empowerment and the the phrases that have empowered you and what you use with your clients, one thing that struck me is I just listened to a book in the last month or so called What Happened to You? Uh, It's by, uh, I I forget the doctor, the, the researcher, and also Oprah. And they were talking about trauma in there and this idea, instead of talking about what's wrong with you, look at what happened to you. And it's not about victimhood. It's not about blaming it, but it's just understanding it and healing. And their comment was that they believe that virtually every person has experienced some sort of trauma in their life. Mm -hmm. Some seems more overt and significant than others, but everybody has, and it creates these imprints and it sounds like you had all sorts of imprints.
3: Yeah.
1: Right. And you said you talked about having to let go of those. Is that a piece of what you're talking about? Sort of detaching from those imprints? Because they're they were there. And it sounds like and I guess I'm wondering, are they gone to you or you just navigate them differently now?
0: Yeah, great question. You know, I think when you when you look at research statistically, you can point to 83% of people in America have had an adverse childhood experience. However, I would argue that is much higher. Why? One, non-report. Two, a lot of homes like the home that I grew up in, you wouldn't dare tell anybody what happened to you. The consequence of that far outweigh anything on the other side, right? And so like, like really, and, and now I've coached thousands of people and, and interacted with thousands of people, like. I would argue it's 95%. I would say 95% of human beings have had an adverse experience in their childhood. Okay, great. So when you take that information, you understand that, and I look at my life, you know, there, there came a point where, you know, it is, you are playing the victim. And I raised my hand to that. I did it really well. I blamed everybody. I blamed you, I blamed the school, blamed my parents, blame everybody, but me, right? And, and in that, the, the process of healing that I think people really have a misunderstanding in the nomenclature of it is that this is a process that is about learning to come to the reality about the truth that you have to acknowledge that bad things happen to you. And that's where it starts. I hid from it. I mean, you guys know more about me in five minutes than people who knew me for 27 years. Right. And that's where it starts because when you hide that stuff, when you try to push it down, when you try to salve it with alcohol and drugs and sex and work and all those things, eventually it's going to come out. It's going to find its way out. And as it started to come out for me, it was like five panic attacks a day. I'd have to drink a bottle of wine just to go to sleep, right? I'd wake up hungover every day and have to smoke a joint just to feel normal, right? And, and it was just, I was poisoning myself because I wasn't dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And then when I started dealing with it and I started acknowledging it and stopped trying to pretend it didn't happen. Look at the end of the day, guys, this is the truth. Like, like um, child abuse is the elephant in the room in America. Why aren't we talking about it? Yeah. Why is it so taboo? Why is it such a topic that is so, I mean, we talk about sex trafficking more than we talk about child abuse, right? That's a mm-hmm. terrible thing too. Let's be very clear. I'm not negating that. But what I'm saying is, you got all these people who are pretending that suddenly it's, you should just let go of the past. It doesn't work that way. We're the sum total of all of our experiences. Everything that ever happened in our life creates who we are today. And so when I started to realize that, I was like, oh man, I got to go get serious about this work. Like, I got to go serious about therapy. I got to get, I did CBT, NLP, EMDR. ABC, I did all the acronyms, right? I got I got serious about coaching. I had a coach. I started reading the books. I did personal development. I read 70 books a year every year for the last seven or eight years, right? I go to the conference, I invest in myself. I spent more money. This is not a flex, I promise. I spent more money on myself on personal development than people with Ivy League degrees for four year colleges. Yep. Why? I that. Because I come
2: first, right? Right. Now, what was it that that actually made that flip that switch for you that made you say, okay, I need to go inside. This is no longer on the outside. Um, you know,
0: I think a big part of it was just looking at the fact that like realistically as a person, I didn't know who I was at 27 at 26, 27 years old. I recognized something I've never had self-esteem. Mm. I never had confidence when I was a kid, like, Hey, it got like beat out of me in a literal sense. And then the other side of it was, you know, in school, man, I loved your favorite band. I wore the clothes you wore, your favorite food. Mm. I like, you know, I, I didn't have any individuality. I had no idea how to be me. And so I had to learn how wow. to start stepping into that, which was so uncomfortable. And so I had to start asking myself, like, like what is like, and not to be crass in this, but seriously, like, What does Michael want? What do I want? What do I need? What do I need to give myself? What do I need to give myself that no one else can give me? And it was a process of getting uncomfortable in that. Can I be single and celibate? Can I not drink? Can I not get high? Can I go to the gym? Can I stop smoking cigarettes? Can I be the person who's kind to myself? Right. And and that was the process. Like it was just this uh, people, like it wasn't even a reinvention. It was a creation. I created the, the, the Michael sitting here today with you is a realization of the idea of the person I thought I could be. Yeah. And the person that I'm going to be in 37 years will be online with that. But it started, look, I'll give somebody, somebody listening right now who needs this something very practical. It all started with my value system. It really truly did because here's the thing I did. And this is what happened. I was listening to a podcast before podcasts were a thing. Like this is early, early on. I mean, we're talking about 2011, right? Podcasts were just popping off, and uh, and somebody I can't remember who I'll I'll never remember. I've tried, maybe I will. Who knows? Um, And he was talking about values. I'd never heard this word before. I was like, "What are values?" He's like, "You got to identify what you stand for," and I was like, "I I don't know," and it just I just started messing with all these different words. And I I went on dictionary.com and I just started writing down words and their definitions and seeing if they somehow like match with me. And today my, my, my values are leadership, honesty, kindness, self-actualization, and no excuses. And that's who I am. That's what I stand by. Like, I'm just going to keep
2: it real at all times and and move towards being the person that I want to be. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the international business honor society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers. And their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members.
1: so, Michael, I want to go back to something you said. You talked about some version. The way I heard it was people need to own that own that past, own that old story to move forward. And I mean, I've interacted a lot in my life with people. I mean, you and I are on the same page. There's, I know there's a story in me and in everybody that says somehow I'm not good enough. But so many people say, well, no, that's not true for me. And to me, as long as I'm saying that, I'm not going to move past it because I'm telling myself it's not true, but it's driving me. So I'm curious in your work, number one, how do you help people own it? Or is it just like throw a switch? And second of all, if they do own it, how do they get past the resistance to own it? Because they don't want to own it. Because if I own it, I have to do the work. Yeah. If I don't own it, I can stay a victim. Totally. Yeah. So make
0: a decision. You know what I mean? Make a decision. Here, here's how it starts, right? And, and I, I want to preface it with this. I don't help people. I've never helped anyone in my life. I just simply have a roadmap. You got to drive the car. That's it. But That's that conversation great. starts very simply with this. And anytime someone gets into my program, into my coaching, into anything that I do, it starts with this. And this is like a baseball bat to the
3: face. I go, you're not a child anymore. And that's a hard thing for people to understand. Yeah.
0: Right. It really is. When you reconcile that, it's like mind blowing. That was my experience too. I was sitting one day, I was driving my car. I was just, I left Indiana. I was like middle of nowhere, like Utah or Kansas or something. Right. And uh, I was like, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm in control. And that's where the freedom starts. Because when you start to reconcile that and you sit in that and you go, wait a second. No, 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 no. I'm not a kid anymore. Maybe that environment doesn't have to impact me the way that it does. Then suddenly you become in this position of, I dare call it power, right? Because you're measuring your life around you now. And the way that you get into that place where you don't want it, you're like, I don't want to go to what's next. You can't be helped. You can't change. You can't right. do anything different. I can't. I mean, it's the old adage, lead a horse to water, right? I mean, I, I got I got people who within six months, their lives are so incredibly different. And I got people who in six years, their lives are never different, yeah. right? Because ultimately, and, and look, think about it. It's whether you're any type of program that you're ever in, there are people who are going to be successful and there are people who are not. And the differentiating factor between the two, it's not belief, right? It's not tools. It's not talent. It's not ability. It's decision. The difference between success and failure is decision. It's also the level of uncomfortableness. Well, that, that's layered in into. decision, right? Because yeah. the, the, you know what's on the other side of the cliff. Are you yeah. going to jump or not? Right? And and I think so frequently, like, you got to jump. You got to be willing to say, screw it, man. Like if I fail, so be it. But the fear of failure keeps people so intertwined in the narrative of not being good enough because they're measuring themselves against perfection, right? They're thinking like, why bother? If I'm not already at 100%, why should I do it? See, everybody's worried about the marathon. They're always about mile 26. <laughs> I'm, I'm about putting on your damn shoes and going outside. Yeah. Right. You right. want to create massive change in your life. You've got to build momentum against action based on decisions. That's how you do this work. You, know, you make decisions. You've heard me say decide like 12 times today, make a decision. Like, because here's the thing at the end of the day, the most simplified way to put this: nobody lives for you. Nobody breathes for you. Nobody loves for you. Nobody acts for you. And if you don't believe in yourself, who will, but ultimately the only way you create belief in yourself is you have to prove to yourself that you're capable of trying. Hmm. And that's where people get caught up because they're worried about failing. And I'm only
1: worried about putting my shoes on.
2: Yep. Great place to start.
1: So so, Michael, you know, we have we have a lot, we have a lot of guests who talk about mindset. So mindset and we are we're believers in mindset. And so there's so many different ways to look at that. And um, you talked about decision. And one of the questions I asked most the guests about this are, are people typically making a decision to move away from pain? Are they making a decision to move towards something they want? And do you think it matters? Or is it just a matter of make the decision and take action? I, I think about it like this. Actually, I love that question.
0: Um, our intuition, our gut has never steered us wrong ever in our life. It is a mechanism for survival at, a, at, at all aspects of it. Because think about this as you guys are sitting here, like you've had moments in your life where you're like, I knew that was going to happen. And you did it anyway because you didn't follow your intuition. Trust in your gut and you will never be wrong. It's smarter than your brain. Right? It really truly is. It's your spidey sense, right? It's that thing where you're like, man, I'm about to make this decision about hiring this person, but something feels off. And then you hire them and six months later, you're like, oh, they bankrupted the company. Oh, how'd that happen? Should have listened to myself, right? And and that's the truth about it. Like don't second guess yourself. But in that, and here's a catalyst to this or a caveat to this, I should say. In trusting yourself, you gotta stop asking people's opinions. Mm. You got to stop letting people up in your business, because guess what? If they ain't never done it before, how are they going to help you? Your mom ain't never built a $25 million business. Why are you asking her about
2: payroll? (laughs) (laughs) And so when you're stepping into that place, are you needing to learn to listen to your gut? Or is there a process there? Or just do you find that everybody knows what it is? Yeah, no, no, that's a great question. No, I, I think the process is the
0: willingness to just do it to the point that it becomes um, a natural thing as a part of your life. Do you know, you I, I, I'm sorry, I, I never trusted my gut. I was terrified of it. This comes back to what I was saying earlier when I was like, I can't be me because it's terrifying. So, learning how to trust my gut became this process of of just putting my toe in the water, like. Maybe I don't want to go to the restaurant you want to go to. That's a big deal.
3: Yeah, like
0: People don't understand that. Like That's huge. Saying no. Here's how I live my life. Let me give you some real context. You want to change your life forever? Get to the point where you can do what I'm about to say. And the only way you get to this point is you trust yourself. I only do what I want to do. And I never do what I don't want to do. That doesn't mean I don't do the tedious stuff. That doesn't mean I don't do the minutia. That doesn't mean I don't have to do the things that I'm like, oh, I've done this 9,000 times. Because you do. But when you're operating through this scope where you're not bending to appease other people, the decision-making process becomes much easier.
2: Now, do you have to create space for that? Um, I, I would say oftentimes we fill ourselves, our environments, television, music, whatever it is, you know, constant pings from email, and we never have time to actually listen. So do we need to make space for that? Or is it just a, you know, one second check-in?
0: I think it's multifaceted, right? Making space for it would be the simple answer. But the, the more complicated answer to that, Craig, is this, commit first and figure out the rest later. There you go. Love it. Right? You should always make space. My, my daily routine is my daily routine. I don't care where I am in the world. I don't care if I'm sick. I don't care what's happening in my life. I wake up, I drink water, I stretch, I meditate, I journal, I read for an hour. Then I go to the gym if it's a gym day. And if it's not, I go for a walk every single day, 365 days a year. And in that, it helps me create a framework. There's no phone. I don't even have email on my phone. I don't even have text notification. If my house was on fire, I wouldn't even know. <laughs> right? Because you can't call me. Nothing's going to happen. This thing is simply here for me to use it when I want to use it. It is my tool. I'm not its tool, right? And that applies. <laughs> my, my team knows this too. Dude, I got 35 people working for me across my three businesses. I'm going to respond to you when I want to. And right. that's built into my calendar between noon and one o'clock every single day. All right. See you there. My, I've never had a business fail in two hours.
1: <laughs> right, I love that one. So, Michael, you, I want to go back to this trust your gut thing. I I agree with you. People don't trust their gut. I've struggled with it. I think there's also challenges in understanding the difference between what my gut, what is my really my gut versus my head, because you said earlier people have this innate desire to protect themselves,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and that's my head. My head protects me, not my gut. My head tells me things to try and protect me, which is based upon my old stories, my old patterns, my old imprints. And I think part of it, the trust piece for me was understanding the difference between this in my head talking or my gut. So how much is that a factor, has been a factor, is a factor in some of the work you do? I'm smiling because I love that question. I don't
0: listen to my head. (laughs) It's crazy up there, man. I don't listen. You know what I mean? Like I, I use it to make informed choices and decisions. I use it to bring in input, but like when I'm on the, like, like when it's game time, I'm on the court. Like I use, I use my head to go, okay, have I been in this situation before? Are there points of data and measurement for knowing the scenario, but ultimately the gut, that instantaneous response of, if I pass left, it's going to get picked. But if I drive straight for the bucket, knowing that that center every single time goes right, uh, the lane's going to be open. I'm going to bang. Right. And that's the thing. If you look at it right. It is it is a parlay. But where people get caught, Jeff, is this. It's that back and forth where you're in your head and you keep weighing out the scenario. Mm. That's where you're stuck. Your brain, you need your brain. You're not going to work without it. Right. But the thing is, like, can you get to this place where you're leveraging your brain only to help you bring input in a way that helps you know and reinforce the gut decision? Sounds like some serious training. <laughs> well, it's it's repetitive, right? You know, how do you get to Carnegie Hall practice? <laughs>
1: right. Right. I think there sounds like there's also some t- there's some cues in here or some uh, cheats because One thing came to mind is I'm pretty, I'm not pretty sure, I'm absolutely certain that when I'm asking myself what if questions, I'm in my head. Because my head does, my gut doesn't ask me questions. My gut tells me things. So if I'm in that question mode, that's my head saying, oh, you got to watch out here. Watch out. That's not my gut. My gut doesn't say watch out, except my gut says, don't do that. Yeah. Because that's the wrong path. It doesn't say watch out. It says, don't do that. Hmm. Yeah, it's not like, think
0: about the words you're using, right? Maybe, kinda, sorta. I'll, don't use those words. If your brain is like, maybe if I do that, that will happen. No, if I do that, that will happen. Be binary, right? If you can, if you can, tra- here, let me give you something really practical here. If you can step into this place in your life where you can use binary language with yourself, that's actually how you reinforce those gut decisions, hmm. Right. There there's no gray area in business, right? That's where people get caught up. They're like, "Hmm, maybe if I do that." Don't maybe anything. You can't <laughs> you can't try you can't try to be successful in life. You have to decide to be successful in life. Wow. You can't try to be a leader. You have to I cannot try to have a conversation with you. I have to have a conversation with you, right? We got to get out of this place where we're so caught up in that like weighing possibility thing. That's that's bullshit that's taught to you in school, right? Where they're like, don't think for yourself, let us help you
3: do it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: be, be one of the cogs. That's exactly what it is, right? <laughs> and if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a freelancer, if you're a business owner, if you're a leader, you, you can't do that. Yeah, You can't rely on the system to help you make the right choices. You have to put your, I'll give you a great example. We were And one of my businesses, we launched this product in June. I'm on the board of this business. Everybody wanted to launch this product in April. And I looked at everyone and I said, I refuse it. I'm telling you, you guys are wrong. I was willing to fall on my sword for that. I was willing to get kicked off the board for that. Cause I was so vehement about, it. I was so adamant about it. I was so like in your face about it. I was like, you guys are wrong. I know I'm right. I know the market better than you. I'm in it every day. I see it. I touch it. I, I feel it. I smell it. You're wrong. And I'm talking to people who've been on this company way longer than me. And, um, and they go, okay, cool. We trust you. Let's see what happens. Fast forward to June, number one product launch day in the history of the company. <laughs> right. Make a decision and stand by it. Fall on your sword. But also work to make sure it happens. Yeah, I mean, you got to do the due diligence for sure. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, like, I wasn't like trying to get more time because I hadn't done the work. I was getting more time because I understand the market, right? I understand what we needed to do as a business. I understand what I needed to do to prepare my team for success on that launch, right? And, 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 and it's hard when you're combating people and that's where the gut instinct right comes back into play especially from a business perspective
2: it's amazing when you when you step out in confidence people fall in line much more often than they don't in in other words they when you come out with confidence it's not seen enough and so when you do people are like oh okay must know what he's talking about yeah well
0: it goes two ways right and and i've had to experience one of the things I know about myself, self-awareness and leadership is everything. I really, truly Huge. believe that. I am stubborn. Like <laughs> I, like my number my number one trait and my number one character flaw is stubbornness. Period. And because I know that about myself, I always have to measure this. Am I trying to be right, or am I trying to accomplish the mission? Great question. Right? And so in this scenario specifically, my stubbornness was about accomplishing the mission it wasn't about being right yeah right and and i think whenever you try to be right you you're, you're going to fail if if your intentions are not about the goal you're going to fail because you're letting your ego get in the way it's the short term play yeah exactly 100% and so like having self awareness knowing who you are and then holding on to that because people let me tell you this i've had people in my life be like you're arrogant you're cocky you're always right because I go through this, this thing in my life where I'm like, do I know my research? Have I done my due diligence? Do I understand all of the parameters and all the variables that I need to understand? And when I don't, I go and find them. Like straight up, you ask me a question right now, I don't know, I go, I don't know. But I'll find out, right? i remove the ego from it because that has nothing to do with me. Like think unbroken, this, this mission, this movement, this drive, this company, that has nothing to do with me. In fact, I wanna remove myself from it. I want to be obsolete. I want it to make no sense. I want it to be this thing where people be like, why does that company even exist? Childhood trauma doesn't happen. I can't do that if I'm worried about fulfilling myself every
3: day. Dude, I'm tired right now. I don't want to be here, but I am anyway. Why? Mission.
1: Right? Mission. So, Michael, is, is is that you got, but you went to start talking about mission. Is that for you a key to knowing the difference between confidence and ego? Because when Craig was talking about confidence, I know this from my journey, I always presented as confident in my life, presented as confident, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't confident. It was a show. And when I started to get confident and I told people how lacking in confidence I was, they were upset. They were like, don't tell me that because I wanted to be like you. I said, don't be like me because it was a show. So I could show confidence. And it was a great sales job, but I wasn't. <laughs> so, so I could say someone is confident, but they're really arrogant. Is it about mission for you? Is that how you know you're not in your ego? Or is it your gut or a combination?
0: You know, I, I think that this is my personal thought on it, obviously. You know, people will often attack ego. And they'll be like, remove your ego. We are all self-serving. Don't get it twisted. Don't lie to yourself. Like you think Mother Teresa didn't care about herself? You are out of your mind. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's crazy to me that people will say that. But, but the thing that, here's what I believe. I believe that ultimately the people who are the most successful in life, for whatever that means for them, I don't even mean monetary. I mean, all of it. The people who are just like, I'm good. Those are the people who operate mission-based. Those are the people who are about bringing value. To the lives of the people around them. Whether it's about being the best mom or the best softball coach, or you know, you go at the nursing home five times a week, whatever that is, when when those people, it's fulfillment, right? Like at the end of the day, it's fulfillment. And 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 the confidence to parlay there is like all that stuff serves you. It makes you feel good about yourself. Don't lie. We don't need to act like we're monks. And even monks, they're self they're probably the most self-serving right? <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I think like that, that mashup of, of confidence and why people get it misconstrued with arrogance is because you're arrogant when you're trying to fill your cup.
3: You're confident when you're trying to bring value to others. Mm, great point. Yeah. I do have one last question for you.
2: Did you change your name, or did you come out with the name Michael Unbroken?
0: Yeah, nobody's ever asked me that before. Um, So my, I'm I'm actually named after my father. Um, I'm the second in line, but I've never met him. And I was like, I don't want to be named after somebody I never met, so I changed my name.
1: Okay, very simple. Michael, one thing I want to touch on because we haven't used this word yet. I think you've been talking about it a lot without using the word. I know one thing that you're big on is this idea of vulnerability and leadership. What is that to you? And why is it important? Because it's one of the big topics of the day. Yeah. Call for it with people are terrified by it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know,
0: people are terrified by it because there's a lot on the line. There's a lot on the line. There's livelihoods on the line. There's people's college tuition for their kids on the line. There's, there's people eating dinner on the line. There's a lot of heaviness to it. You know what I'm saying? And, and I think that there's levels of vulnerability. I think that you got to be cautious with it. There, there's the aspect of like overkill where you're vomiting all of life's problems on your team and your employees and the board. that you can't do that. You can't do that. Like, I don't, I don't care that your life is bad, right? Like, I'm sorry, I'm just being frank because here's the truth. Like, that has nothing to do with me. As, as a leader, my job is to tell you, hey guys, look, we're low on numbers, but we're not going to miss payroll. It's freaking me out, but let me tell you this. I'm going to work fucking 97 hours this week. We're going to figure it out, right? Vulnerability in that is, hey, guys, COVID just happened. We got to let go of 70% of the team, but I'm going to work 120 hours and then make it the most successful year in the company's history, right? Vulnerability is looking at it straight up and going, I don't know what to do right now, but I'm going to get it done. I'm going to sacrifice first. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. I'm going to be willing to be the one in there before you and in after you. Right. And 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 I think the vulnerability side of it also, it's it's not about all the bad stuff. Hmm. How many leaders do you know who don't celebrate their team, who don't acknowledge milestones, who yeah. don't share the good things, right? When when you have a great example last week, one of in, in one of my businesses, one of our um, we had somebody reach out from our customer service and go, hey. Um, this person who lives in another country, they got one of our products, but they accidentally ordered the wrong thing. They're dying of terminal cancer. We don't think she can even afford to have another one of the things sent to her. And I told my team, I said, send it to her. Let's take care of that person. And then I celebrated my team in in our Slack chat, right? Because that's how we do things now. And I said, this person showed up and made an initiative. To make somebody's life different. That's
1: why we do this, right? And so you know it's it's multifaceted. So Michael, there this is uh, man, I, I feel like we could go on for a couple hours. oh yeah, but there's so many nuggets in here uh, that we just be we'd be adding layer and layer of good stuff. Uh, we always want to wrap up and give our give our guests an opportunity to to highlight or promote something that's going on for you or your business. What's that uh, highlight for you today, Michael? Yeah. I
0: mean, everybody can get a free copy of my book. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com. Uh, it's book.thinkunbroken.com. Um, I, I just, you know, I want everybody to have access to the information. But also, if you you don't have money, because look, I've been poor. I've been homeless. There's this thing called the library. They have it. <laughs> it's free. Go get it. Stop making excuses. Hmm.
1: Love that. Sure. We were just talking about the library this week, actually.
0: <laughs> Man, I ain't paying for these 70 books a year. Yeah. I promise you that I'm not. Like, I go why why would I do that? What am I gonna do with
1: books? I gotta read them, right? <laughs> so, Michael, what's the what's the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, yo, I'm everywhere at Michael Unbroken
0: on all the social medias. Michael Unbroken, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, MySpace, all of them. Um, but but honestly, the Think Unbroken podcast, like. That, that's where I put a ton of effort and energy. That, that's my, my baby. I, I love it. So that's Think Unbroken Podcast.
1: Awesome. Well, Michael, we always wrap up with a couple of our questions. And the, the first one I want to ask you is, tell us about that leadership model for you. Who was that and, and why were they such a great model for you?
0: Yeah, you, you know, here's the thing. My, the people who are leadership models in my life, I also view as my, my peers, right? It's the people in the pages of the books I read, the conferences I go to, the conversations like this. Um, You know, I'm super fortunate, man. Like, if I look at the people in my life, like in direct connection, I get to work with people in literal sense, like Tom Bilyeu. I get to work with Gary Vaynerchuk. I've been able to work with Grant Cardone. Like, that's for real. That's real. But But 10 years ago, 10 years ago, it was late fees at the library. Like it really was, right? But leadership, leaders in my life are the people who've already lived it and done it. Why do I have to learn this on my own? You, you put 20 years of knowledge into six hours of reading, right? And, and I think that people misconstrue access. It's right there. It's right there.
1: I think that's, a, that's such a great point, Michael, and I want to highlight this because one experience that I've had myself and other friends have had is, and I'll, and I'll make this as brief as I can, I'm one of my best friends back in Cleveland, Ohio, part of a leadership organization, and they had one of the top leaders in the city came as a guest one day and talked to them. And this leader said to the entire group of like 100 people, here's my cell number. Call me. I'm happy to have a conversation with every one of you. And just answer, and just be there and answer questions. Not one person called him, mm-hmm. and this person reached out and said, "Hey, did anybody call you? I didn't hear from anybody." He said that's so oh. disappointing to me because I was genuine. I said I'm here, and I think, unfortunately, to your I think it's to your point, people even put in front of them and they're not grabbing it. It's right there.
2: Yeah, for the last fifteen years, I've been coaching, guiding uh, entrepreneurs, students in the executive MBA program maybe have had two or three reach out in 15 years. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: Look, I'll, I'll tell you this. How many people do you know got money from Grant Cardone? I'm one of them. How do, how do you get money from a guy who is the best salesman on planet Earth? You sell him. I sold Grant Cardone. Grant Cardone gave me $10,000 to invest in Think Unbroken. Do you know how I did that? I asked somebody for help. Do you know who I asked? I asked the person before me that Grant gave $10,000 to. (laughs) Get out of your own way. Yes. Stop being an idiot. You know what an idiot is? A person who lacks information. Get out of your own way. Stop being so self-serving and go ask for
1: help. I love that, Michael. And uh, we're going to wrap up with one of our favorite questions. Tell us about that movie that character, that scene that speaks to you about leadership.
0: Yeah. You know, what's funny is this, this may be very different than what you normally hear. Uh, (laughs) The Matrix, the Matrix is my favorite film of all time. Oh yeah. I I love the Matrix. It is such a great parable for life. Um, When I was like nine or 10 years old, I saw it for the first time. And I remember distinctly in that moment, we were in a dollar movie theater in Speedway, Indiana and we were poor. You had to go to the Dollar Theater. Matrix been out for probably like five years at that point, right? And uh, and I'm watching it, and I was like, wait a second. This is real life. I'm actually in the Matrix right now, <laughs> and I convinced myself that to be true, and there's a scene in it where Neo is walking in to see the Oracle for the first time,
3: yeah.
0: and there's a little boy on the ground, and he's <laughs> sitting in front of the spoon, and the spoon is bending, and Neo is perplexed, and the little boy looks at him he goes, don't try to bend the spoon. That is impossible. Instead, only try to remember
1: there is no spoon. <laughs> Such a good movie. Wow. Yes. Well, thank you for that, Michael. Thank you for being here, sharing your wisdom. But even so much more important than that, thank you for the work you do in the world. Yes. because you're creating ripples. I know you know that, but you want to want you to hear that from us. Thank you for the ripples you create of change. Well, thank
0: you for being a part of the mission because without you guys, I'd have less voices and less ears to hear this story. So thank you.
2: If you enjoyed this episode, please go to your favorite podcasting app, rate us, give us some comments, share some love. It helps us to get our message out to more people. Thank you so much. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cardaveracom confident to find out more. See you on the inside.
1: Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called